Good morning. Please pardon me this morning as I'm uh, fighting a sinus infection, not not feeling so great. Welcome to Grace Fellowship Church. My name is Peter Kroll. I'm one of the elders for our church. And if you're visiting here, I'm really glad that, that you're here at our church this morning. It's funny how often we use the word church. I can put it at the end of every one of my sentences while preaching a sermon at church. You're so used to the word church that you might not even notice the word church unless I keep repeating the word church over and over again in church. (laughs) This morning, I'd like to explain what is the church, or at least what should be the church, as far as God himself conceives of the church. This is the third and final week of a short series about what we call our church principles. These are the principles that define our vision and our community as a church. These are the principles that we hold dearly and that drive how we operate. In the last two weeks, we covered the principle of grace and the principle of fellowship. This morning, I'll explain the final principle of, you guessed it, Church, you got it. And normally our sermons here cover a chapter or maybe a half chapter of scripture. We labor to communicate the passage's main idea and argument so that we can understand what God himself has to say to us and how we put that into practice. But this week, I'm I'm going to break that practice just uh, for a special time. I'm going to zero in on just a few verses And actually, I'm going to focus on just a few phrases in one verse. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. If you have one of the church Bibles, it's on page 643. I'll zero in on these few phrases to help us understand what God assumes and expects his church to be like. Now, here's how we say it in our official explanation on the church website. This is our church principle. Grace Fellowship Church serves the Lord as a local assembly of his body in State College, Pennsylvania. We seek fraternal relations with other churches for mutual edification and accountability. Because we are located in a transient community, God gives us a unique opportunity to impact the world for Christ. As God works through us to make disciples of Christ, he often calls our members to other places. Whether in state college or in the remotest parts of the world, our church embraces God's call to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's our church principle. And the main ideas are that we... Here are a local assembly of Christ's body. We are relating with other such assemblies, and we are sending out disciples of Christ into the world. I think that's a pretty good explanation of what it means to be a church, but let me show it to you this morning, not just from our church's write-up, but from God's word. Let me pray, and then I'll read 1 Timothy chapter 3, a few verses. Our Father in heaven, please help us now as we consider this topic of what is the church. 
Help us to see Jesus more clearly, to represent him well to one another. Help us to live out your purposes for us as a community. We pray that you would be with us now and bless this time by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great, indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now, in just a few months, we're planning, Lord willing, to teach through the letter of 1 Timothy. We'll work our way through this letter, this book of the Bible. And as we work through 1 Timothy, we'll see that verse 15 right here is, in fact, the main point for the whole letter. And verse 14 gives us the the best clue to that, where the author says, I am writing these things to you so that... And the main point we see in verse 15 is simply that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Now, when we preach on this chapter in a few months, we'll focus on that major line of reasoning about how to behave in this place and how all of that fits together, all the instructions that are going to come up in that letter of 1 Timothy. But this morning, I want to zero in on, on the three phrases in verse 15, because these three phrases describe this community in which Timothy and his hearers, even us today, are to behave. These are the labels the author uses under the influence of God's Holy Spirit to outline what what this thing is that we're doing right now, this community. Those three phrases are the household of God, the church of the living God, and a pillar and buttress of the truth. And so we'll walk through those three things, and I'll show how these three phrases show us that the church is a family, a residence, and a mission. So first... A family. The first phrase to describe this community in verse 15 is the household of God. This is probably the easiest of the three phrases for us to understand because we have households and we know what to do with them. For example, if I were to tell you something like, in my household, anyone who talks with food in their mouth has to do five push-ups then you would finally understand why a few of my children have much bigger biceps than the others. We instituted that rule to put an end to a bad habit, but it's actually ended up encouraging the habit for a few who are really into exercising their bodies. (laughs) Eric knows what I'm talking about. He lived with us for the last year. But I think you get my point that I'm trying to make. A household is a family. This is how we roll in my household. A household is a family. And here, when the passage is talking about the church, the community, he's not just talking about any household, any family, but it is the household of God. This community, this group of people is actually God's family. What does this mean? This means that being a part of this church 
isn't like joining a club or just attending a meeting. Instead, this is like sitting down to have dinner with your family. God is our Father. Jesus Christ is our elder brother. And we have a shared identity, not as crows or as folks or as students or as whomever we may be, but as Christians. This is our shared identity. This is our family name. How does this apply? Act as though you belong together under one father. Act as though you belong together under one father. You are part of the household of God. That might mean you need to get more involved in other people's lives. And it also might mean, honestly, you need to give other people a little more space. (laughs) Either way, it means we have a connection. We have a family. We're invested in each other, and God is invested in each of us. And that investment is not easily disregarded. Families have fun together. They develop memories. They have house rules. Families have routines and traditions. Families goof around, and families get on each other's nerves. And then they work it through and grow stronger for having done so. Now, if this is your first week with us, I'm really glad you're here, and I don't want to creep you out. We're so glad you're here, and we're not going to ask too much of you too soon. and Say, this is family. But you should know that if you stick around, you'll become a part of our family. And we'd love to have you. Just a few months ago, we saw some of our treasured family members graduate from Penn State and move out of town. We really miss Caitlin and Hunter. I'm going to make sure none of them are here. (laughs) Matt and Andy and, and others who had roles to play. They used to sit right up front here. They left behind some fond memories. Do we actually have anyone who's taken out the trash every week in Hunter's place? Has anyone taken on that job the way he owned that job? Appreciated that. I praise God for each of you, for all of you, my sisters and my brothers in this church. And I'm praying for you. I'm praying for us. I've been praying before this morning, and I continue to pray, asking God to strengthen our identity as his family this year. We are his family. What is the church? It is a family. It is the household of God. But second, it's a residence. The second phrase used in verse 15 is the church of the living God. Now, this verse, of course, is one place where we actually get the word church from. It's, it's not used in the, in the Bible as much as you might think, that word. And even though the word church has a technical meaning today in English, has a meaning of a a religious community, or sometimes even merely the word refers to the building in which a religious community meets, as in our next leadership meeting is taking place at the church, right? Even though the word church has this technical meaning today in English, it did not have this technical meaning back when 1 Timothy was written. The word for church was commonly used for any public assembly of people. It was used by Aristotle, Herodotus, and Thucydides, among others. And perhaps I'm overstating it a little bit. It wasn't used for just any collection of people. 
If you had a Super Bowl party at your house, that would never be called a church in ancient Greek. But the word would refer to any public official assembly. We might think of it as a council meeting or a town hall meeting or a board meeting or a session of Congress, something like that. Perhaps the assembly would gather to make decisions or perhaps the assembly would gather just to inform the populace of a matter or soliciting their response. The point is that church was not a fancy religious term the way it is today. It was used even in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to the assembly of the public assembly of the nation of Israel. And so it came to be the word of choice for Christian writers for the gathering of God's people to worship Jesus Christ. Why does this matter? Why am I telling you this? Simply because when 1 Timothy 3.15 calls this community the church of the living God, it's not just a throwaway phrase, and he's not just talking about this is, this is a religious group. What, he, what the author is doing is he is identifying the fact that there is a, an official public assembly here, and he's identifying who is the chief shareholder at this board meeting. It's not the people inside the church, and it's not even the neighborhood around the church. It's the living God. This is the assembly of the living God, the God who lives, the God who has promised, in fact, to live with his people. So the God who died and rose again, who lives forever, has called for an assembly of his people. He has called this weekly town hall, and he did it to express something of his nature. He did it so that he could communicate to his people and so that they could communicate to him. And he did it to communicate that he lives among his people. The living God walks through this assembly. He is present with his people when and as they assemble in his name. Now, I'll be honest with you here. Everything I'm saying here doesn't just come out of this single phrase in this single verse. I'm drawing on some some large themes in the rest of the Bible that draw out what this verse assumes by calling this the assembly of the living God. We just finished a study of the book of Exodus a few weeks ago, the second book of the Bible, where we saw that the whole reason God rescues his people is so that he can live among them and be their God. Consider also Jesus' last words in the book of Matthew. Where he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hebrews 12 uses the same word church, but the the ESV translation translates it not as church, but as assembly in order to avoid the technical connotations we might have to know what he's talking about here. In, In Hebrews 12, 22 to 24, he says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, a major aspect of this, the context for this, term is this major biblical theme of God meeting with his people and living among them. 
This is why I say the church is a residence. The church is the assembly, as in the place where the living God dwells, because it is the place where he meets with his people. And to be more precise, it's not actually a place. The physical location doesn't matter. You can be anywhere on earth and be this this assembly. The church is the people itself when they assemble in the name of Jesus Christ. And when we assemble together in the name of Jesus, we are the residents of the living God. How does this apply? Friends, please keep meeting together so that you can meet with God. Our main point, the main reason we meet together is not that we're stronger together than we would be apart. Though that might be true if we are not dysfunctional. The main reason for meeting together is that God, when we meet together, God meets with us in a special way. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that when we make a habit of meeting together, we will stir one another up to love and good works, and we will encourage one another until Jesus returns. And such things manifest the presence of God among us. Let me offer one more implication, which is that people who visit our church should also meet with God when they come here. If they come and remark on how friendly we are as people, that's that's pretty great. And if they like our music and they like the way our children behave, praise God. And if they think the sermon was pretty helpful and not boring, I'm all in favor of such things. But hopefully, the main thing they see, the first thing, the biggest thing they see here is the presence of God through the grace of Jesus Christ. Because the elders and the teachers and the musicians and the announcement giver and the snack setter uppers and the audio technicians and all the other servant leaders we have here in Grace Fellowship Church, all of us want people to come here so they can meet Jesus. Maybe for the first time, and maybe to reignite an old acquaintance. When we, we, we meet with him, when we talk about Jesus, we preach Jesus, we live like Jesus as we interact, all to this end, so people would meet him. As the same author of First Timothy says in another letter, if therefore the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues. What he means by that is you're speaking in, in languages that people don't, don't know. They don't know what you're saying. And outsiders or unbelievers enter. Will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, what he means by that here is a clear, if you offer a clear presentation of the message about Jesus, if you are speaking about Jesus, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is what it means to be the church of the living God. Whoever joins our ranks or whoever simply walks in to visit, 
will meet with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and be led to see the secrets of their heart, fall on their face, and worship this Jesus who is really among us. He is in this place. He is a part of this meeting. This assembly is the residence of God. Now, I'll be frank with you for a moment. Probably, it's my wife's home with a sick daughter today, so I think I can say probably nobody here would be quite enough to motivate me to get up early every Sunday morning and help my wife herd our six children out of the house and into the minivan to come here. Nothing personal. But what motivates me is that we get to come here to meet with the Lord Jesus. But let me clarify something else, even as I say those things. The way we meet with the Lord Jesus is by preaching him, yes, but also by encouraging one another, by seeing Christ in one another, and by speaking of Christ to one another. And so I really am grateful for you all, and you all do motivate me to get up early every Sunday morning and come here. Thank you. I'm grateful to you who point me to Jesus so faithfully week in and week out. And this whole idea of presenting Jesus, the Son of God, who takes away the sin of the world, that leads us right into the third phrase in 1 Timothy 3.15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So the third phrase is a pillar and buttress of the truth. This phrase will show us our mission. A pillar, you know, it's the thing that that sticks up out of the ground to hold up a roof. And a buttress is the thing that sticks out of a wall to keep it from falling over. And if the church is a household of God and a residence for God to dwell among his people, then we might think of likening a church to a house, because God is living here, right? This place uh, this place is, or, or even better, these people are the house of God. He did say household, but can we liken it also to a house? I think we should take note with this third phrase that the church is not the house itself. The church is the pillar and the buttress. The house itself, the roof and the walls, the structure is, did you see it? The truth. The church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. This family, this residence exists to support the truth so that not one word of the truth of God will fall to the ground. This fact really helps me. This fact that the church is not the house, but it is the pillar and the buttress, because this fact constantly reminds me that this church is not the main thing. This meeting, these people, our relationships, our programs, whatever we do, this is not the main thing. Even as we meet in this place at this time every week, this is not the be-all and the end-all of God's kingdom. The truth of God is what we're after. We are here, our community is here to support, 
to hold up the truth of God. And how refreshing is it when truth shatters the lies that destroy us? Sort of like when a spouse realizes they don't have to just suck it up when they are a victim to domestic violence. The truth shatters the lie. And they can do something differently about it. Or maybe when a young person discovers they're not locked into a single career path imposed on them against their wishes. It's refreshing when truth shatters the lies that destroy us. And it's also so sweet when truth blows away the hideousness of injustice, oppression, and violence. Like when the evidence convicts a serial killer. Or when the rest of the world discovers how a tyrant in one part of the globe is abusing his people. The truth just blows away much of the hideousness of the injustice. And when we support and hold up the truth, you know what that means? And particularly, not just any truth, but the truth of God. When we support and hold it up, it means we don't have to cover up all our faults and failures. Because the truth of God is that they have been washed clean. You don't have to cover them up. We don't have to cower from rejection or condemnation. And we don't have to mince words or deflect intimacy people because just because we're not yet all we wish we could be. And we're afraid of letting people get too close. We don't have to do those things. Truth knocks that away. Because the chief truth that the church upholds is what this passage in First Timothy goes on in the next verse, verse 16, goes on to call the mystery of godliness. And mystery here doesn't mean that what he's about to say can't be understood. Mystery means it, it wasn't as clear in older times as it is now. That's what mystery means here. It didn't used to be clear, but now it's clear. And what should be clear to us, that truth we uphold, is where he goes. Hear this again. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So the truth that we uphold, that we are a pillar and a buttress for, the mystery of godliness is the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's how he explains it. In verse 16. And he explains it in six parts. Number one. He was manifested in the flesh. The first thing he says. This means that Jesus was God from all eternity. But there came a point in time when he took on a body and became human. He didn't just appear to be a human. He didn't just show up in some hallucinations. He was really and truly human. He was manifested in the flesh. Number two, he was vindicated by the Spirit. This sums up so many things. Jesus lived a perfect life, satisfying God's demands for moral perfection. 
And then he died in our place, paying the penalty for our rebellion against God and and for our impetuous moral failures. But the key thing is, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead to show that the sacrifice of his death had worked. He did it to show that he was right, that he had paid everything in full. And his, so his bodily resurrection from the dead was his vindication by the Spirit of God. Part three, he was seen by angels. Jesus came to shake heaven and earth. He came to bring an end to the old order and to establish a new heaven and a new earth. That process began when he rose from the dead, and not even the angels can escape the consequences. So he was seen by angels. And part four of this, this truth we uphold is that he was proclaimed among the nations. What he had done by being born, by living a perfect life, by dying a substitutionary death, and by rising to new life, it didn't just happen in a corner of the world for the locals. He did this for all nations to reunite all kinds of people to their creator. And this message about him went out everywhere, and it continues going forth. Part five of the truth is that he was believed on in the world because, friends, Jesus began to change everything. Wherever his story went out, people would respond. They would give up their old lives. They would give up their ancestors' traditions. They would give up their cozy and comfortable ways they had been taught, and they would become new people, believing the truth about Jesus and his rescue. He was believed on in the world. In part six of this truth, finally, he was taken up in glory. Jesus is not still here on earth in bodily form, stuck in one place to sit on a single throne. He left earth. He ascended into heaven. He entered into his glory so that he could send his spirit who would be with all his people everywhere at all times. And Jesus was given glory, honor, and a kingdom by his father, the God of gods. And now he reigns from heaven until he puts all who oppose him under his feet. And then he will come back and he will make a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Friends, this is the truth that we uphold. This is what we're here to support. We are a pillar. We are a buttress so that not a word of this truth will fall to the ground. This Jesus is the one we worship. The truth we support is simply the story about Jesus. How does this apply? We must keep building our church into a structure where this story about Jesus will stand tall. This is why we choose curricula for our children's classes based on what will best highlight Jesus and his work. This is why we ensure that every sermon holds Jesus high for everyone to see. This is why we have Bible studies, we have outreaches, we have service opportunities, all so we can hold up this truth, this story that will change the world. And so whatever we do as a church and wherever we go from here as a church, we must keep this truth front and center. We must hold it high 
We must hold Jesus high. This is why we exist as a community. This year, we plan to continue talking about and equipping you to befriend and reach your neighbors. We do this not just to make this a better town to live in, though hopefully that will continue to happen, but we primarily do this to exalt Jesus and to give him the honor he deserves in our lives and in our neighborhoods. This is our mission. We are a pillar and a buttress to this truth of Jesus. In conclusion, let let me pull these three strands together with a final piece of application, which is that some people, including me, naturally gravitate toward one or two of these purposes of the church. One person says, I want the church to feel like a family with close relationships. Another person says, no, I want the church to focus on the gospel and to feed me in my walk with God. I want to meet with God here. And the third person says, no, 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 no. I want the church to be on mission, making a difference in the world with the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And friends, the Bible tells us we ought not choose among these three options. In fact, we must not choose. The leaders of this church and the members of this church should ensure the existence of all three purposes in the church of Jesus Christ. So as Grace Fellowship continues to walk with the Lord Jesus, let's not choose to be either a church of close relationships or a church of good teaching or a church of winning outsiders with the truth. Let's work on all three areas. And this is a transient community, like we we say on our website in our church principle. This state college is a transient community, so many of you will not still be with our church in a few years. And imagine using these three criteria to decide on your next church, regardless of the musical style, the size of the membership, the length or the style of the sermon, or the quality of the children's or youth programs. Imagine looking for and finding a place where people act like family, where God is father. Imagine finding a place where people are led right to God through the story about Jesus Christ and God dwells among them. And imagine finding a place that is also on a mission from God to uphold these truths and change the world with them. That would be amazing if you could find all three of those things. That would be like heaven on earth. That would be a place where God is. And I pray that our church will more and more become one expression of that place here in State College and on this planet. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are our Father. We are your household. Lord, you are in charge here. You set the house rules, and we want to honor you. We want to hold Jesus high. And as we do so, we want to be close to one another as a family. And we want others to meet you when they come here. Lord, please help us to live out this mission. Help us to understand what is the church, why we're here as a church, what we ought to be like. Help us to glorify you and honor you above all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.